Uh, Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us today, that you would challenge us today, that you would simply be with us today. Lord, open up our ears that we might hear you better. Open up our eyes that we might be more aware of you. Open up our lives that we might be changed. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Uh, the, the story is told that a famous evangelist was in town to hold a, an evangelistic crusade. On the way to the stadium, though, he, he needed to drop off a letter at a post office. And, and so he was on his way through this new town, and he ended up getting completely lost. Finally, he had to ask someone for directions. He noticed the little boy walking on the sidewalk, so he pulled over and said, Excuse me, son, but can you tell me where the post office is? I seem to have lost my way. <clears throat> the little boy said, Sure. Turn around, you go back down this street, take a right over there, take another left, and it'll be on your right. Thank you very much, young man, said the evangelist. By the way, he added, handing the boy an announcement for the crusade. I'd like to invite you to come to a meeting later today where I will tell you how to find Jesus Christ as your personal Savior so that you can be saved. Fat chance, said the little boy. You can't even find the post office. Of course, this is one of the problems that we have when we talk about finding salvation. It's not always clear to anyone what we're actually talking about. Furthermore, maybe too often our view of salvation has actually become too small. I mean, it's even worth asking, what are we talking about when we talk about salvation or being saved? Saved from what? Saved from whom? Saved for what? Saved by whom? And when and how and why and, and to what end? You see, part of the problem is that we don't always know exactly what we mean when we talk about salvation. Even in the Bible, different things are meant at different times. In most of the Old Testament, when they speak of salvation, they're talking about being saved from enemies, real, physical, flesh and blood, sword-wielding, strong, violent armies is normally the, the form salvation needs to take. Obviously, they wanted to be saved from those people with swords. But is that what we're talking about when we talk about our need for salvation? The answer, technically, is sometimes. I mean, less with the swords, but, but we do at times need to be saved from enemies. We need to be saved from troubles. We need to be saved from bad situations that come up or that we end up in. There, there's an external piece of salvation that, that we need. Then there are other times that we need to be saved from things that are more internal, saved from pain, saved from fear, saved from grief, saved from hurt. Other times there are simply sort of states of being that we need to be saved from. We need to be saved from poverty or greed, saved from addiction, saved from lostness or loneliness. And then there's something even deeper we need to be saved from. We need to be saved from guilt. We need to be saved from shame. We need to be saved from ourselves. Some might even say saved from our sins. 
But, but notice, even, even in saying we need to be saved from sins, there's different ways we understand that. Because while I do need to be saved from the consequences of or the punishments due from what I've done, there's also something even deeper inside of me that causes me to want to do those things in the first place. And I, I need to be saved from that too. Which is why our view of salvation may need to become bigger and broader. Because we need more than just forgiveness or a ticket from heaven. We need capital S saving sometimes. But we'll get there. First, let's make sure we know where we are and where we're going. Because we're starting to come towards the end of this series where we've been looking about at how our gospel has become too small as well as our views of eternity, our story, even our God. And the problem with all of that is that it makes our faith too small too. For too long and for too many of us, we've turned the whole thing into a transaction where we do something and then God has to do something. We say a prayer, we receive Jesus, we come to Christ, we decide to have a personal relationship with Jesus, and then God has to save us by giving us our ticket to heaven, which is later and longer and somewhere far away. But it's all about us, and it's all up to us. It's all our decision. It's all our doing. It's all our effort. It's all our choice, and it's all for us, which means, quite frankly, that it's not news, and while we're at it, it's not all that good. And yet you'll notice that this also takes away any impact that it could have in our own lives, let alone the impact it should have on our neighbors, our community, and even our world, except insofar as it's available to them as well. Of course, the more insidious part of this small gospel is that it then distorts and domesticates our God. It then minimizes and marginalizes Jesus' message. It shrinks and stifles our faith such that it can be ignored or trivialized or overlooked. You see, in trying to simplify everything, we end up removing all of the force and all of the effect and all of the power. But what if we could go the other way? What if we could be a people that go the other way, expanding our view of God, extending our view of eternity, even entering into a deeper and wider and longer and higher gospel? If we did, our discipleship and our faith would become different. Suddenly they would become the the cornerstone that define and shape everything else in our lives not to mention having a a profound impact on the people who are around us. So with all of that as introduction and background, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 1. Ephesians 1, 1. If you're looking in your own Bibles, General Electric Power Company, GE, can't do it. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how you find those four. In this passage, as I read, I want you to listen for how Paul talks about salvation. Because I think you hear what you want to hear, but if you're listening, you'll also hear something bigger and broader and better than that. So let's listen in. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ." In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with His purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be the head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. 
There's a lot there to unpack. Uh, and sadly, we are barely going to scratch the surface of this passage because I want us specifically looking at and talking about, about salvation. What do we need to be saved from? What are we being saved for? Then we're going to take a, a brief little interlude and finally talk about the who of salvation. So saved from, saved for, interlude, who? But we start with saved from, because our passage seems to be talking about this larger salvation that we're talking about here. I mean, it definitely mentions forgiveness, but then it talks about all of the rest of this as well. It's not just that we're saved from the deadness of our transgressions or the ways of this world or our disobedience. It's not just that we need to be forgiven. It's that we, we also need to be saved from something deeper inside of us, something that's gotten into our nature our cravings, our, our very selves. You see, salvation isn't just talking about a judicial issue, where if you do the crime, you do the time, and we've done the crime, and therefore I need grace to remove the time. I need grace to remove that punishment. We're talking about that, but we're talking about something bigger as well. Because when you think about it, our real want and our real need goes deeper much, much deeper. Let, let me use an example to try and get a better handle of what we're talking about. <clears throat> so think for a minute about an alcoholic, though this is true of all struggles and sins, as we'll see. But for the moment, what is an alcoholic trying to be saved from? Notice they're not trying to be saved from the consequences of drinking. Because, of course, that doesn't really solve the deeper problem. That's not what they're trying to be saved from. What they're really trying to be saved from, obviously, is alcohol, and more specifically, alcohol's power over them. This is part of the power of an AA program because it gives voice to this deeper need. I don't just need to be forgiven for the hurt that I've caused, though I do. I also need to be saved from alcohol's power over me. More to the point, I need to be saved from this thing that's in my nature that looks to alcohol, ironically, for salvation. And of course, what's true in this one example becomes true of all of them. Because the real issue is it's true of all addictions that trap us and idols that we chase after and patterns that we get stuck in and sins that we commit. We do need to be saved from the consequences. We do need to be saved from the guilt and the shame, but we also need to be saved from that deeper thing inside. That's something that wants to do the wrong in the first place. That's something that looks to the wrong for meaning or fulfillment or wholeness. That's something that mistakes that thing for God. I need something that can undo that distance that that creates in my life between me and others, me and myself, and me and God. To try and put it a different way, I need to be saved, but, but saved with a capital S. I need to be saved on a different scope, a, a different level. And yet that's exactly what we're talking about in this passage. 
This, this capital S salvation is what Paul is describing here. It's not just a, a slate wiped clean, clean. It's not just forgiveness, but it's that we are being made new. It's that we are now included in Christ. It's that we are made alive again. It's that God has closed the distance that divided us. In all of that, God has saved and is saving us from it all. But wait, there's more. Because we're not just saved from something, we're also saved for something. Because, of course, God is doing something bigger in salvation than just trying to get a few people into heaven. In fact, that's too often the way we think about salvation. There's some kind of boundary, some kind of fence, and some people are in and some people are out. And being small s saved means that you are one of the ones inside the fence. And the small good news is simply the instructions of how to get yourself on the inside of said fence. And small heaven is the reward you get for being inside the fence when the music stops. But it sure sounds small that way, doesn't it? Contrast that to how Paul talks about salvation in our passage. He says we are being saved because God is bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth. God is bringing all things under Christ who is the head. God is bringing hope and life to a world that sometimes feels dark and dead. God is showing his presence and his love to the world. That's kingdom language. The good news is that God is here, that God is doing a new thing, that God is trying to save not just us, but everyone, the world, and not just to get them into heaven, but save us all in that much deeper way, that capital S salvation. Maybe part of the invitation in this passage is that we then get to partner with God in His salvation works, bringing healing to those places that are hurting. Bringing life to the places that are dead. Bringing restoration and redemption to the relationships that have gotten broken. Being instruments of grace and mercy and love. Maybe part of our job, part of our calling, part of what God is doing in us and through us is preparing these works of salvation for us. There's a place over here that seems broken. How do we step into that? There's a relationship that's hurting. How do we help? There's someone who's grieving, someone who's hurting. There's some part of the world that's not the way it's supposed to be. How do we step into that situation with God's redeeming help, with God's redeeming salvation? Maybe these are some of the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Maybe salvation is less a destination that we arrive at and more the way that we travel and the mission that we're on. Maybe salvation is partnering with God in the works that God is doing. Because as Paul is saying, we've been chosen and saved so that we'll be holy and blameless, so that we will live as children of God. That's why we've been chosen and predestined and adopted. Not so that we would be an exclusive group that's in, in opposition to everyone else who's out, 
but because God is willing to include even us. And in that, God then puts his grace on display through us. God gives us good works to do. God invites us to participate in his saving works throughout creation. Notice, this is why it's about so much more than just getting ourselves inside the fence so that we get to go to heaven. It's more about God trying to to get more heaven into us. Uh, Living his kingdom out. Making this place more like he would have it be. William Barclay has written about a group of soldiers during World War I who had lost a friend in battle and wanted to give their fallen comrade a decent burial. They found the church with a graveyard behind it, surrounded by a white fence. They found the parish priest and asked if their friend could be buried there in the church graveyard. Was he Catholic? The priest inquired. No, he wasn't, answered the soldiers. Sorry, said the priest. Our graveyard is reserved for members of the Holy Catholic Church, but but you can bury your friend outside the fence. I'll see that the grave site is cared for. Thank you, Father, said the soldiers. They proceeded to bury their friend just outside the graveyard on the other side of the fence. When the war finally ended, before the soldiers returned home, they decided to visit the gravesite of their friend. They remembered the location of the church, and the grave was just outside the fence. They searched for it, but they couldn't find it. Finally, they went to the priest to inquire as to its location. Sir, we can't find our friend's grave, said the soldier to the priest. Well, answered the priest, after you buried your fallen friend, it it just didn't seem right to me that he should be buried there outside the fence. So you moved his grave, they asked? No, said the priest. I moved the fence. Which brings us to the who of salvation. The who of the gospel, for that matter. Because when we talk about salvation... Sometimes we make the mistake of making it all about us. Who's in, who's out. That becomes the issue of salvation. Who has met the bare minimum requirements? Because if you have, then then you're in and it doesn't much matter how you live. But notice, that's not very good news. It's not a very good story. And it's really not any kind of salvation for that matter. Which means that maybe we're focusing on the wrong who of salvation. Because when Paul, or Jesus for that matter, talk about salvation and eternity and faith, it's less about us and it's more about God. It's about a God who constantly and consistently and continually works to rescue and reconcile and redeem people back to him. It's about a God who loves even prodigal sons and daughters. It's about a God who loves even busy Marthas and emotional Marys and over-enthusiastic Peters. It's about a God who loves the least and the last and the lost and even us. It's about a God who moves fences in order to bring more in. And this is the God who has moved near. This is the God who has come to us. This is the God who loves us. This is the gospel. To try and get at it another way, the who of salvation and the what of salvation and the why of salvation may all simply be that God has moved near so that we might know him better. Which is Paul's prayer right in the middle of our passage. 
You might have the spirit of revelation so that you may know God better. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but interestingly, that's how Jesus defines eternity. Eternal life is this, that you may know God. Maybe what God has been working at all along is simply moving us closer to him or moving him closer to us so that we might know him better. And as God moves near, we are changed. Maybe that's how God saves. Maybe that is, is what God has saved us for. Maybe that is the real who of salvation. Let's pray. Lord God, sometimes we, we focus on ourselves a little more than we should, and in doing, we make salvation all about us. But we recognize again today that you are God, and you are big, and you are good. And maybe salvation is bigger than we've made it. Maybe you're trying to do a deeper work than simply get a couple people into heaven. Maybe your bigger work is that you would extend your salvation into everyone's lives. That we all might be saved. That you would do a powerful work in each of us. Lord, there are so many things that hinder us, so many things that trap us, so many ways that we fall short. And yet you are working your salvation into even us. Lord, help us partner with you. Help us see ways that we can participate in your good salvation works. Today and always, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his strong name. Amen. Mm -hmm.